You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, If you were into watching the uh, Olympics, the Winter Olympics in China recently, you may have been um, taken with the way commentators were looking for a repeat of the event back in the year 2002 at Salt Lake City, where they held the Winter Olympics. They wanted to actually see a Stephen Bradbury moment again. Do you remember Stephen Bradbury? Well, he was the ice skater, the the short uh, course ice skater, who started at the back of the pack. He started, uh, I think it was five metres at least behind the other three skaters and uh, won the gold medal. His tactic was, and this is Steve's profession himself, his tactic was because the others were far more proficient skaters than he was and far more fancy to win, he said, well, the best idea, the best tactic I can do is stay at the back of the pack and hope that they have a bingle. That's what happened. The three skaters ahead of him took one another out and he just skated through and won the gold medal. And the commentators at the recent Winter Olympics were saying, oh, if only this happened again, if only there was another Steve Bradbury moment. You know, we're a bit like Steve in regard to being Christians in the society and world in which we live. We're at the back of the pack. We're at the bottom of of the, uh, the ladder as far as society and the world goes because they think that we are irrelevant, they think that we are out of touch, they think that we need to actually catch up with where society is. But one thing we do know, as Luke has just reminded us, that God is in control, and when God's at our back, we're going to win through, despite being on the outer, despite what the world says about us or thinks about us. And that the Lord is in charge... And the first can be last, and the last can be first. We are God's very special possession. And despite all we're up against, we have God at our back looking after us and looking out for us. He won't allow us to crash out. Now, Peter's address here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, he starts off in a very warm-hearted manner. You notice the word that is used here? Beloved. Beloved. 
Uh, it's an old-fashioned word. It's a word we don't often use. Maybe you use it to regard to your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or boyfriend. I don't know. Rodney, do you use the word? No? I recommend it. Well, here's this word, beloved, and it means that we are greatly loved by God, that God has his own people on his heart. We are his elect aliens, his chosen, cherished people. We are God's dear friends. Isn't that good? We are God's dear friends. But with being God's friends, we have an obligation, and this is built into the meaning of the word, beloved, we have the obligation to actually step into society and to engage in loving service of God. So it's one thing to be loved, but with the love comes a responsibility to act. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 17, Paul turns his attention away from the previous chapters where he uh, highlighted their hope and identity in Christ, and he, he turns his attention now to what it is to be a responsible member of society to live an active life involved in active service. And he says, your active service should result in three things. One, it should result in abstinence. The second thing it should result in is subjection. And the third, good conduct. So God's interested in us having a legacy or leaving a legacy behind us of active service, whereby God might say of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. That would be a great finish to life, wouldn't it? Great thing to say uh, at, our, uh, at our funeral service. I don't think the same thing can be said of Putin. Putin is going to leave a legacy behind, but it's going to be a legacy of tyrannical rule and of selfish self-aggrandizement, where it's all about him. We are all about God. We are about knowing God and living for God and making an, a, uh, making a, an effect upon our society which uh, has lasting effects. So the three things we want to see together from this particular passage, the first is this, that we're in the world to serve God. Christians are in the world to serve. And Peter gives a very specific advice to his fellow believers and he appeals to them here in uh, 1 Peter 2, he appeals to them for action. And the way he begins here is quite interesting in his address. He says, you are sojourners and exiles. Now, we've heard quite a bit about it being exiles in recent weeks. But I want to just concentrate on what it is to be a sojourner for a moment this afternoon. Uh, a sojourner is a person who dwells in a land or dwells in a location for a short time, for a brief stay. A case in point would be my sister, who has a wildflower industry in Western Australia. So she grows wildflowers on the farm, and she also goes out and picks wildflowers from the national parks and from the bush. She has about half a dozen workers uh, that are working for her throughout the year. But then when it comes to the months of December, January and February, she needs another 10 to 12 workers. So she hires backpackers. Just by the way, the backpackers are now being paid $500 a day for picking, pruning, stripping and hanging wildflowers. It's good money. 
but it's only short term. You see, these backpackers are sojourners. They're only there for a short period. They come for a time and then they move on. Now, that's what Peter is highlighting here in his letter to the Christians around Asia Minor. He's highlighting the fact that Christians are sojourners. And it indicates we're only on earth for a time. There'll be a time to move on. We are citizens of heaven, says Paul to the Philippians. Or as the old bluegrass gospel song goes, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. As I get a bit older, I'm getting up in years now, I've begun to realise that life goes very, very quickly. Looking back, in one sense, life is quite short. It seems long when you're young. Life just does not come on quick enough. But when you get old, you say, slow down, slow down because we're slowing down ourselves. But no matter what our age is, we all need to make the most of the length of time God gives us on earth. That's why over in Ephesians 5 and verses 15 and 16, it says, make the best use of time because the days are evil. We're here for a time and our time is for making an impact for the glory of God, and our time is for making a difference in society. You are called to make a difference. You are called to be different. You are called to step into society and actually have a salty effect. So think of Peter. Here he is, and he's appealing to his fellow sojourners. And notice the little word that he uses there. He says, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners to abstain. Uh, In my own mind and my own imagination, I can just imagine Peter and he's got his quill out and he's writing these words uh, of the letter to to his fellow sojourners or Christians in Asia Minor. And as he writes, he comes to this little word urge and he presses the pen down hard on the parchment. I urge you. We all need that at times, don't we? We we need some urging, some urging on because we get a bit lackadaisical, we get a bit slack. We need to be urged to action. Uh, Mike Sayers, who's uh, part of the Red Church or the leader of the Red Church at Nunawading, has a podcast. And he just recently stated in the podcast that there are cracks that are showing up now in the Christian church as a result of covid The cracks are between belief and practice, between what we hold to and the way that we live. He's saying that it's one thing to be justified, to be made right with God, but then we need to be sanctified that we're set apart to live for God. And he's saying that gap in between is a grey zone now and that gap needs to be addressed. We need to wed the fact of what we believe with how we live. It's got to match up. There's got to be a consistency. There's got to be a, a flow on. So here is Peter and he's appealing to his readers and he's reminding them of their need to practice abstinence. He's saying there is a time when you need to stop. There's a time when you need to wait. 
There's a time when you need to save yourselves. There's a time when you need to abstain from particular actions for the glory of God and for your own well-being and the well-being of other people around about. It's like um, an example of this would be the fact of saving yourself for marriage, of being sexually pure so that you go into married life with a clear conscience. It would be like abstaining from living with somebody before you get married for the glory of God and for your own well-being. Because what Peter's saying here, he says there's things that we are contending with and we have to contend with and we will contend with and they are passions of the flesh that are mentioned in verse 11. And his mention of the word flesh here denotes two things. One is that it's the complete antithesis of living by the Holy Spirit and the other is it is being run by the sensuous side of your nature. You see, when you live by the flesh, you're being governed by your bodily part or as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you're being governed by the animal side of your nature. We have a dog. Little dog, he's a schnoodle. Lovely little creature, but he has a mind of his own. And around about 7.15 every morning, he starts crying. He has a need. Feed me now. Feed me now. I want to be fed now. When it comes to 5.15 of an evening, guess what? He's crying again. I want to be fed now. I want to be fed now. He's, he's being controlled by his passion for food. Now, there's a sensuous side to us. There are passions of the flesh that get us to say, I want this now. I want this to happen to me now. I want to get this now. It's no wonder the commercial industry works so well. They just feed on this passion of the flesh, which is there within us. And Peter's saying, watch out for it. Keep your fleshly passions under control. Don't let them be the controlling force in your life. If they become the controlling force, they will do you no good. They will wage, what does it say here? They will wage war against your soul. Helen and I went to Bible college in Adelaide and uh, our principal, Dr. Jeffrey Bingham, took us through 1 Peter on one time and he stressed to us as students that uncontrolled passions impede mutual love and do inner damage. They morally injure our souls. So running on your passions, running by your passions, being controlled by your feelings, your wants, your desires, your whims can easily cause damage to your own soul. This includes passions like uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life as well. And those are the things that can kill off our serving God, or our wanting to serve God, or our appetite to serve God. We had a young guy called Tony. Uh, Tony had a little blue uh, pasty-like VW. He used to come to uh, a church on the outs, western outskirts of Brisbane, and he served alongside of me as a helper for uh, 12 months or so. But at one particular point, uh, Tony was convicted of... Uh, his being hooked on the matter of pornography. 
Unbeknown to the students, uh, he stood up one chapel session in the college and confessed to his addiction and uh, repented and asked for prayer because he knew that the passions would ever be there and never needed to be contended with. But he'd come to realise that by living by his fleshly passions, uh, it was destroying his own soul. As Christians, we live in a world that runs on cravings, desires and feelings. We live in a society where the society is continually saying, you've got to have this now. You've got to, have, you've got to update. Helen and I were just coming to, to worship this morning and uh, there's a new tile come onto the market. It's a non-slip, non-slip tile. We just put new tiles and a new flooring in our kitchen. It's slippery. Our poor little dog comes in. It's like an, he's on a skating rink. Straight down the floor. I said to Helen, really? We've got a new, there's a new product. We really should put some new tiles on the floor so the dog doesn't slip. That's the way society works. It works us over, it works on us. Peter is saying, learn to say no. Trust God to guide you. And be strong and say no. Kent Hughes writes, to abstain from the passions of the flesh requires us to live with a renewed mind, a disciplined tongue and a controlled body. For in Christ we are tethered to heaven and are merely wanderers on the earth. I like that. We are tethered to heaven and we are merely wanderers on the earth. Peter goes on. And he talks about the importance of addressing the matter of conduct in verses 15 and 16. He says to us there that we are to be those who uh, do good and should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. A good feature of um, seeking to do good is being a person who shows strength under control. In your workplace, in your sporting arena, or wherever you hang out with people, people are watching you and are just watching you to slip up, to be inconsistent, to be hypocritical. I just love to see Christians falling flat on their face and failing. They sling off at us, they call us enemies, bigots, God botherers, Bible bashers or the like. They wait for us to slip up. What's Peter say? He says, stick it doing good. Stick it living a disciplined life. Stick it distinctive conduct, which is uh, arresting to people that are watching on. Experience says that if you keep doing good and keep doing the right thing and assisting people and addressing people with courtesy, and consideration and mindfulness, eventually you'll shut them up. They get tired of their criticism. God wants our conduct to be honourable, the sort that doesn't put others off knowing Christ. The Lord wants us to bear the name of the Lord Jesus in a worthy manner. He wants us to be a living testimony of his love, mercy and grace because through us he often calls other people to himself. And that's what Christ has done. For by grace you are saved through faith. That are not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Created in Christ Jesus, what for? What are we created in Christ Jesus for? Good works. 
So Peter's saying, keep doing good. Recently, I was in Mildura and uh, we heard a very, very positive story, but sadly it was connected or concerned with the death of a 48-year-old Christian guy that Helen and I knew very well. He passed away with the COVID virus and we had to listen to the funeral service online. Uh, Eddie was his name. Eddie had spent uh, five weeks in the intensive care unit of the Alfred Hospital with a collapsed lung. He was a gem. He was a true blue believer, a true servant of God. Uh, Eddie was always ready to share his faith with others. He had a wonderful serving heart and that was clearly testified at his funeral. The remarkable feature at the funeral was that his boss, his non-Christian boss, actually led the funeral service. His pastor spoke a message at the service, but his non-Christian boss led the funeral service. I was immediately intrigued by, by that fact because he made that profession himself. But he went on to say how much he appreciated Eddie and how Eddie conducted himself on the factory floor. He had observed Eddie mentoring and training and helping and encouraging his fellow workmates. He'd observed Eddie coming alongside and if a guy was struggling with a big box or a big parcel, there was Eddie right alongside helping his mate lift the parcel up. Eddie was doing good and his boss saw all that and his boss was so taken by Eddie's conduct and his willingness to help that he sought Eddie's counsel and advice regarding other members of the company workforce. Our chief task is to be about bringing glory to God by doing good. You see that in verses 12, 14 and 15. Not just making good in life, but actually doing good. We are in the world to do do-goodery. Charles Swindoll has written a book called um, Improving Your Serve. He says in the book that in actual fact we need to continually work at improving our serve. If you were into tennis and watched the Australian Open, you will have noticed various players that over the course of the last 12 months have worked on their serve, including Ash Barty. But as Christians, don't we have even more reason to improve our serve and our serving than what a tennis player does? We have the Lord Jesus who's gone to the cross and died for us and saved us. And so... We should be working at our serve, shouldn't we? Improving our serve. Are you working at it at the moment? Will you think in the course of this week of ways that you can improve and better your serving Christ? The second thing to actually see from the passage is that Christian serving needs to involve submission. Paul, Peter next takes us, and it's like a little jump. He, he takes us now to the realm of Christian relationship to society and government. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to be emperors or supreme, who is supreme, or to the governors. He directs our attention now to the legitimate authorities that God has put in place for people's well-being, protection, and provision. 
that God has established and positioned authorities to establish laws for the safeguard and benefit of people. And two things that often these authorities do, they either condemn us or they commend us, according to whether we're um, on the right side of the law or not. But here is Peter saying to us, well, these authorities are in place, they're appointed by God, they need to be respected and honoured, they need to be submitted to, so don't buck them. In other words, we have a a submissive responsibility to abide by the lords of the land. This is the will of God. Now, I think the incentive to do this arises from actually viewing the submissive serving of the Lord Jesus, of how Jesus came and stepped into society, the society of his day, of how he, he operated and what he did. You see, Jesus came and he submitted to authority. He submitted to the authority of his father. He said, I have not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And it's remarkable that in doing God's will, Jesus would have to come and submit himself to a high priest called Caiaphas, a jealous, fearful Jewish religious leader and then in turn submit himself to Pilate, a powerful, people-pleasing Gentile, Roman leader. And then even more remarkable was Jesus going and submitting himself to a Roman instrument of torture in the cross. And even deeper than that was Jesus going to that cross and then actually submitting himself to the sin of your and my life that Jesus endured the cross, that he went and actually wore and bore every bad thought and all our poor choices of words and all our deficient, defiant actions in life, that he allowed himself to look bad and he in actual fact became bad for us. That's submission, isn't it? But it doesn't stop there. Just think of the the outflow, think of the results, think of the flow on that came as a result of Jesus submitting himself to the Father, to the authority, and then to the other authorities that God had put in place. The flow-ons were these. He secured salvation from sin and death, reconciliation with God, forgiveness and cleansing from guilt, redemption from slavery, right relationship with God through justification, imputed righteousness from Christ, freedom from the law's condemnation, and assurance of eternal life. Isn't it a great flow on? Well, it doesn't stop there. I'm just trying to get you uh, appreciative, deeply appreciative of the grace and the love that God has shown you. See, it doesn't stop there. I mean, the Lord has cleansed your guilty conscience, softened your hard heart, freed your bound will, renewed your darkened mind. So you now have a rich and enjoyable relationship with God. You're in the clear with God. There's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Because Jesus came and submitted himself to his Father's authority and to the authorities of his day. I think it's powerful stuff. Now that is at the background. That is at the root of your submitting. And I think Jesus, by virtue of his loving service, 
of his submissive servants put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. He reduced leaders to silence in the light of what he did and what he accomplished. So Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He says, don't uh, submit to governments because of what governments want or demand. Do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for the sake of the one who's gone to the cross and died for you, who's gone to death and dealt with death and risen above death for you. Let the gospel thrill your heart and keep thrilling your heart. Let it be the incentive for you to be a submissive person. So how do we subject ourselves? How do we submit? Well, I think we obey the rules of the land. We adhere to the laws and the bylaws. You take notice of the road signs, the speed signs, the parking signs, the taxation rules, the random breath testing, the building regulations, the public health orders. These things you take notice of. And if you don't and you break them, accidentally, inadvertently, or deliberately, take responsibility for your actions. Pay the fine. Cop the responsibility. Now, this matter of submission can be a testy business. Christians in Peter's day found it so. Under the Roman pagan pump, they were vigorously persecuted and accused of, of atheism, of incest and cannibalism. The atheistic accusation arose from their refusal to worship the Roman pantheon of gods. The accusation of incest arose from being united as one family in Christ and calling one another brothers and sisters in Christ. The accusation respecting cannibalism came from the belief that they actually ate the flesh of Christ and drank the blood in the Eucharist. Now, these were accusations, and they were spoken partly out of ignorance and hearsay and partly out of their reaction to the gospel of the cross because the gospel of the cross aroused people's ire. They didn't like it. Now, we live in a day, our, our, our opposition today or our persecution today is not nearly as bad as the early Christians face, but it is rising. There's a rising amount of cynicism, criticism and accusation towards Christians. So how do we respond when people want to misrepresent us and discredit us and call us hypocrites and wowsers? How do you handle society ganging up against Christianity? What do we do? I mean, we're seeing a ramping up of godless legislation in our governments. There's, go there's, there's legislation that is now enacted and there's legislation that's going to be enacted. There's a small sector of society hell-bent on re-educating Christianity on matters of conversion therapy and gender identity and sexual orientations. Can you see that Christianity is being pushed to the outer? Christians are being labelled as out of step and out of line with our enlightened, opinionated, proud and progressive society. What should we do? How should we submit in the face of this? Get angry? Be depressed? Launch counterattacks? I like um, I like Murray Campbell. He's the pastor at Mentone Baptist Church and uh, a, a keen writer, an advocate for the gospel and the truth of God's word. 
Uh, Murray said recently, amidst all the growing opposition to Christianity, we need to stay strong and stand our ground and defend the truth of the gospel. But in doing good, the best good we can do is standing true to the gospel. Sadly, numerous Christians have lost sight of this and are currently giving to planting the flag of their faith in defence of the intolerance or the exclusion that is coming through legislation. So we're more on the defence than we are on the attack. We're more on the back foot than we are on the front foot. Peter's encouraging the fact that true subjection or true, true submission is being on the front foot with the gospel. That's where the power of God lies. Now, one thing we need to avoid is being too submissive, where we blindly surrender to the godless legislation. I think there's a time when you need to take a stand. There's a time to actually put a line in the sand and saying, no, this is not of God. There's a time to take on issues and take up issues. Like when teachers can't be selected that uphold the beliefs and values of a Christian school. Like when you may be forbidden to pray for someone or practice public worship or pass on a Bible. Or as a parent, you're not permitted to instruct, guide and advise your children on their gender. Aren't they occasions for actually taking a stand? My question would be to you this afternoon, as it is to me, where are we at? Where are we at in the society in which we live today? Where are we at in regard to this matter of being submissive and of subjecting ourselves to the authorities? Are we a timid compliant? Will we just go along with the legislations? Or are we a rigid counteractor seeking to counteract the legislations that are coming? Or are we, are we a free, freed propagator and pronouncer of the good news of Jesus? I think it's the latter that we need to be about. That's the great doing good. Peter goes on and talks about freed Christians are to be influential servants. Live as people who are free, it says in verse 16, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of Christ. Now, Peter's saying, take heart, take heart. He says, you're not just a sojourner and an alien, you are a freed sojourner and alien. You've come from a position where Christ has actually freed you from your enslavement, your enslavement to the flesh, your enslavement to the world, your enslavement to the devil. You've been born again. You've been purified. You now have Jesus as your cornerstone. You've been chosen by God. You are a special people. Now, he says, you're ready for action. Now you can get on with service. Now you can get, be out in, the com, out in the community, out in the society, making a difference. So Peter says, be free. He says, live free. Live as one who's been freed from the enslavement. Live as a promoter of the goodness of God. Fear God, respect God, reverence God, love God, honour God, honour God's people, love people that he's made. How do you do that? Well, let me take you back to Eddie for a moment. 
I, Helen and I knew Eddie. We knew him from uh, conducting um, Around the Bay in two days, which is with the Bible Society. It's a bike ride um, designed to raise funds, to raise monies, to buy Bibles for, um, for people overseas so that they can learn to, to read and to write. But they use the Bible for that end. And uh, we'd ride around the bay in two days. The first day of riding would entail 150 to 160 k, and uh, if it was a hot day, it would take its toll. <laughs> You'd get a bit puffed. You'd get a bit weary. Well, Eddie uh, had been a regular uh, attender to the bike ride over a few years, but this particular year he had a damaged ankle, so he couldn't climb on on the bike. But Eddie, being Eddie gets his red Holden station wagon and starts following the riders around on this very hot day. Eddie, of his own initiative, in his love of service, and he's seeking to do good, goes to the local supermarket and buys up these big boxes of water, you know, bottled water. And he's out there and he parks his station wagon at strategic points on the side of the road between um, Dramana and uh, and Rosebud, down that way, and... uh, He's handing out water. I pulled up alongside Eva. I said, Eddie, you're an angel in disguise. And Eddie, as quick as a wick, um, he had a great sense of humour, replied, yeah, you just can't see my wings. And the next minute he'd take off, off he'd fly and help some other ailing riders. Well, that's service. That's making a difference. That's being an influence. And crisis has freed us to be that way to other people. And submission doesn't cost you your freedom. In an actual fact, it enhances it and it enlarges it and it expresses it. If you go to James, he talks about the law of liberty. The way of love, the way of of doing good to others is the way of liberty. It actually fans to flame the liberty and the freedom that Jesus has given you. That's why Martin Luther, back in the 16th century, wrote, a Christian man or woman is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man or woman is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everybody. So here is Peter's encouragement to his fellow believers to keep doing good. But he says to them, he warns them, he says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. You see, it's very easy to use your freedom wrongly and and to become a law dodger. Uh, Your freedom in Christ is not a a freedom which uh, allows you to break the speed limit. Nobody would have done that here, though, would they? I have. You see... Whenever we see a law, something happens inside of us. Something happens, we see a law, and it triggers a response. It triggers a protest to the heart. And that inner protest saying, well, I don't like that law. That law is not appropriate here. That law should be changed. That law doesn't deserve to be kept. See, that little protest leads us to excuse ourselves and to want to reset the law or revisit the limits. That's a misuse and abuse of our freedom. If we ignore law and break the law of the land, then we fail to obey the law of love and fail to serve God. 
Simon Kistemaker says, true freedom then is what that which harms or injures no one. So the Lord is looking for us to be engaged in all-round, wholehearted service for God. It involves respecting people, even politicians. I love to play golf and uh, played golf in the country in recent days and in the city and heard lots of politicians being bagged. And it's so easy to join in the conversation and to join in the bagging. But the Lord is telling us here we need to do one of those. I've been one who's been guilty of bagging politicians and I've been guilty too of actually saying in regard to the Premier of Victoria that if I met the Premier in the street, I would never shake his hand. This scripture says I should do it otherwise. I should shake his hand. That's honouring those that are in authority over us, isn't it? That's what we're freed to do. And Peter here uses the Greek language. He emphasises the present tense. He says uh, that you need to continue in doing this. It's the word that links the honouring and the loving and the fearing in verse 17. Believers must continue to love their brothers and sisters in the church, continue to show respect for those in authority over them, and continue to respect and reverence God. So as we've looked at this message this afternoon, we see that Christians are in the world. We step into society to engage people and to be active in serving Christ. And that requires attention being paid to our conduct, to practising submission and to doing good. And to do this in a world that increasingly regards us as irrelevant and puts us on the outer. It gives us the impression that we are on the losing side. No, we are not. We are not on the losing side. We are on the winning side. God is at our back. God is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord has a winning program. It's a serving program. He wants us to serve the community. He wants us to serve him, but he wants us to serve the community. He wants us to do good. He wants us to actually demonstrate the goodness of God and the grace of God to people. And that will win through. He wants you to work out in your daily life ways in which you can be involved in helping and assisting others by serving, in writing a letter, inquiring after another with a phone call, offering constructive encouragement, holding someone specifically up in prayer, coming to the aid of your neighbour, mowing his or her, or her nature strip, baking a cake, making a pot of jam and passing it on. There are numerous ways that you can actually do good towards other people. Are you thinking of something this afternoon now? You've got a skill, you've got an ability. Use that to the good and well-being of other people. Helen and I had occasion to go to Adelaide and our son um, enlisted us to be part of a television advert, which is only playing in Adelaide, not in Victoria, fortunately. It involves sitting around a table and chatting with parents and two young girls. We were to promote a particular building firm in Adelaide. Uh, these two little girls were our adopted grandchildren for a few hours one afternoon. And so we had a light-hearted chat around the table, covering many subjects. At one point I asked little uh, Sophie, I said, what do you hope to do when you grow up? 
You know that question gets asked of a lot of kids. What do you want to do when you grow up? And they'll say, oh, nurse, doctor, fireman, policeman, or something like that. If I was asked that question when I was young, I would have said a farmer or a footballer. So I asked her this question. It led on to talking about the animals she liked and lots of We were chatting while the, while the cameras were rolling. The question of future occupation, though, has often been asked, but I've never, ever heard the answer, I want to be a servant of God. That would be a good answer, wouldn't it? What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a servant of God. That'd be a great answer, wouldn't it? That'd be a great aspiration to have. And this is what Peter's encouraging. He's encouraging us to be servants of God. So in the light of today's message, in the light of this passage that uh, we've read and shared in from from 1 Peter, let that be your aspiration, that you want to be a good servant of God this week, this month. You want to make a difference. You want to influence others' lives. You want to bring glory to God. May God be with us in doing that. Let's bow and pray together. Dear Father, we want to thank you for the down-to-earthness of your word. We thank you, Father, for its practical instruction. We thank you, Father, for the way that you underscore and underline to us things that should be a feature in our lives. We pray that uh, in this week which lies ahead, we will all make a difference one way or another. Inspire us, lead us, give us opportunity, give us openings. And Father, give us the strength and the courage and the keenness, Father, to do good to other people. Not to make us look good, Father, but to show your goodness, to bring you glory and to make you known. Bless us, Father, in our endeavours. Use us, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.